the Sunday before last, as I began our new sermon series on the kingdom, <clears throat> I said this. Why did Jesus instruct his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is our verse for this term. Why do you think that he instructed them to pray in this way? I believe it is because the kingdom of God was not present on the earth at that time, even though Jesus was present. If the kingdom of God was not present on the earth at that time, what kingdom was present? It was the kingdom of darkness where Satan ruled that was present at that time and not the kingdom of God. We know this as we saw two weeks ago when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert after fasting for 40 days and Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor in exchange for Jesus bowing before him and worshipping him. Jesus never challenged the devil on his authority to make that offer because he knew the offer was valid. Rather, he quoted scripture telling the devil who we are to worship. Last time we looked at how Satan got to have this authority to make this offer. Man disobeyed God, was deceived and listened to, and did what the devil suggested, thus handing the authority that man had over the earth to the devil, and the kingdom of darkness was established. So there are two kingdoms, which is the title of this message, now present on the earth, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Jesus came to earth and did all that he did to re-establish the kingdom of God. And we will look at how and why and what during the course of this series. Today, I want to look at the kingdom of darkness and how it came about. Why am I doing this? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are involved in spiritual warfare. And in any warfare, one of the more, most important things to know is to know your enemy. Ask any military commander about this and he or she will tell you it is true. The more you know about your enemy, the better you can prepare yourself against the attacks of the enemy. And the better prepared you can be to go on the attack against the enemy. Have you ever watched two cats fighting? One of the tactics they use to try and intimidate their opposition is to make themselves look bigger than they are. The hair on their bodies stand on end like they've had a static shock. They arch their backs as high as they can, or they stand on their hind legs so they look bigger than they are. These are scare tactics to intimidate the other cat. The devil does similar things. He uses scare tactics and tries to make himself seem more powerful and dangerous than he really is. So where did Satan come from anyway? To answer this question, I'm quoting from study notes from the video series The Kingdom by Michael Fletcher, written in conjunction with Jeff Christensen. Most of us are familiar with the different stories in the Bible about the bad things Satan has done. But how did he actually become so terrible? Scripture doesn't give us any single teaching on this subject. Instead, there are numerous passages scattered throughout the Bible that must be pieced together in order to get the whole picture. Three important passages that the church has traditionally understood as describing Satan's fall are Isaiah chapter 14 verses 11 to 15, Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 12 to 17, 
and Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. From these passages, we gain our understanding of Satan as a fallen angel who was cast out of heaven for the sin of pride. He had planned a coup in hopes of ruling over God himself. Let's take a look, closer look. Isaiah 14 reveals that Satan has fallen not just from heaven, but from a high position in the eternal presence of God. It also tells us, in poetic terms, just how far he has fallen. Maggots are now his bed and worms his cover. It doesn't get any more disgraceful than that. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Isaiah chapter 14 verses 11 to 15. In Latin, the name Daystar is translated Lucifer, a name that probably sounds familiar. Lucifer literally means bringer of light. The name historically referred to the planet Venus in the times during its rotation when it was the first visible object in the dark early morning sky, the first thing to bring light to earth. Interestingly, in Revelations chapter 22 and verse 16, Jesus calls himself the bright morning star, the exact same name that Isaiah calls Satan. So how do we make sense of that? One possibility is that since Jesus is the true morning star, Isaiah might refer sarcastically to Satan by the same title to emphasize Satan's intentions to dethrone God and take his place as the best and brightest. Verses 13 and 14 in this passage make it plain that this was exactly his ambition. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom 
by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings, that they may see you. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 17. The title Anointed Cherub Who Covers confirms our observation from Isaiah that Satan was the highest ranking angel, created by God for a special service. Ezekiel's description of his pre-fallen grandeur takes it up a notch. We read that he was perfect in beauty, covered with a multitude of rare gems, outshining the rest of creation. Another possible reason for Isaiah to call him the day star. Verse 17 tells us that this that it was this very beauty that caused Satan to esteem himself more than he should, to the point where his pride caused him to be filled with violence and ultimately with the desire to usurp God's authority. <clears throat> and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and seas. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now isn't it wonderful to know that only a third of the angels were cast down with Satan, which means there are two-thirds of angels still in heaven fighting against him. So it's a two-to-one. Twice as many angels in God's side against the, the devil. Revelation 12 reiterates the consequences for Satan's rebellion described by Isaiah and Ezekiel, being cast out of heaven to the earth. Here, though we are given more detail, John speaks of signs in, heavens, in heaven. The first in verses 1 and 2 is a symbolic depiction of Christ coming forth from the nation of Israel. And the second in verses 4, and 4 to 6 is Satan's fall. We see in verse 4 that the dragon swept down a third of the stars of heaven, an allegorical description of a third of the angels being cast out of heaven with Satan. This passage also portrays Satan's attempt to destroy the child Messiah and God's intervention to keep him safe. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 
to 18. It's after the Magi had visited Jerusalem. In verses 7 to 9, we learn that Satan didn't leave heaven quietly. Once the evil intentions of his heart were exposed, he decided to attempt an open, full-scale assault on God's authority, backed by the angels who ended up being cast down with him. Michael, understood by most biblical scholars to be the highest-ranking angel in heaven since Satan's fall, led the unfallen angels in waging the war against the fallen angels. They put down Satan's rebellion, and he was banished forever from dwelling in the presence of God. Verses 79 make it clear that Satan's power is far inferior to God. This aids in our understanding of verses 10 to 12, in which a heavenly voice prophetically proclaims Satan's eternal defeat and the victory of God and his church. Christ's triumph over sin and death crushed Satan's head. The church now operates in that victory, defeating darkness by bringing God's kingship into the lives of others, even in the face of intense persecution. At this point, it's worth mentioning that there has historically been some controversy around accepting the verses in Isaiah and Ezekiel as descriptions of Satan's fall. Because Isaiah 14 was originally addressed to the king of Babylon and Ezekiel 28 to the king of Tyre, some have argued that these prophecies cannot really be about Satan. However, there are good reasons to believe that more is going on here than just words spoken against pagan kings. First, the details in these two prophecies go well beyond the natural splendor of earthly kings in earthly kingdoms. The descriptions of an angelic figure who was present in Eden far transcends any merely human ruler. Second, biblical prophecy routinely shows that we call what we call double fulfillment, a phenomenon where particular prophecies directly speak to contemporary events or events in the near future while at the same time referring to things that would occur much later. For example, David wrote several prophecies about himself, which were then applied more fully to Jesus by the New Testament writers. We also see some New Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in the first century AD, but which also have a fulfillment at a date yet to come, such as Matthew chapter 24. Third, as we pointed out, the imagery of Revelation 12 concerning Satan's fall is far too similar to the imagery of Isaiah and Ezekiel to be coincidental. We should also consider Satan's link to the world system that opposes God's kingdom. It is important to note that the kingdoms of Tyre and Babylon are both seen in the Bible as emblems of that evil world system. Finally. Another key passage from the New Testament explicitly uses the imagery of Satan being cast out of heaven, just as is found in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Revelation 12. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus tells his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That was after he had sent the 72 out to go and minister. And when they came back and they were full of what God had full of the stories of what God had done. That Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Taking all this into account, we can safely conclude that these prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel reveal more than just direct indictments against the human kings 
they were specifically written to and actually inform the reader as to Satan's fall and eternal disgrace. Satan is a created being. He was the most beautiful and highest of all the angels, but because of pride he is now a fallen angel cast out from heaven. He was the pinnacle of the created heavenly beings, but is no longer. So now he seeks to destroy the pinnacle of God's earthly creation, the one thing that was created in the image and likeness of God, mankind. That is why he comes against us. He is out to destroy mankind in whatever way he can. I said at the beginning that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. But the kingdom of darkness is not really a kingdom in comparison to the kingdom of God. I would call it a fiefdom, which is an old medieval term for a property owned by a lord or an area over which a person or organization exerts authority or influence. Satan is the lord, small letter L, not capital letter L like we have for lord when we speak of Jesus. Satan is the lord of his fiefdom, or it could also be called a fiefdom, because he is the thief who comes to rob, kill and destroy. But his power and influence is nowhere near as great as the power of God. The, the, there are two kingdoms, but they are nowhere nearly as great or as powerful as each other. The, fir the first slide of the two kingdoms had the page split in half. But in reality, the comparison of the two kingdoms would look more like this. With the kingdom of darkness being infinitely smaller than the kingdom of God. And even then in this depiction that the kingdom of darkness is too big, but I needed to be able to get the writing in, in the little block. It's like comparing a flea and an elephant. It's that, that difference in size. The kingdom of God is infinitely superior to the kingdom of darkness, just as the power of God is infinitely superior to the power of Satan. As we'll see as we go through this series, we now live where these two kingdoms continue to clash. And we know who holds the power on earth now. It is no longer Satan, as Jesus reminds us in the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority in heaven and earth is now with Jesus. And he has given it to us to use as we go out into all the world to make disciples. And Satan does not like that and is once more trying to take away that authority. But it will never happen. He has lost the war, but he still battles on. So we have to be aware of that and not let down our guard or take off our armor because we are in a spiritual battle, as I said at the beginning of this message. Amen. Discussion questions. These are the discussion questions. Number one, what spoke to you in this message? Secondly, have you ever been in a spiritual battle? How did the devil try to attack you, and what did you do to overcome the attack? What scare tactics has the devil tried to use against you? 
How did you deal with them? And then fourthly, pray for one another.